Um, when I was asked to give today's talk based on my 15 years of PR experience, I realized my dirty secret was finally out. <laughs> when Dave and I, my husband, started coming to Oasis a few years back now, we spent the first few months trying to avoid talking about our jobs, both of which felt distinctly unchristian. I soon realized the easiest deflection tool was to get in first, mumble that I worked in PR, and then deflect straight to Dave, who at the time worked in gambling. He could wriggle out of that one. <laughs> my, uh, my public relations career started in 2004, when I applied for a role I knew little about as part of my degree course. It was based in the Debenhams press office, and I really was hooked from day one. The constant ringing of phones and fax machines. Yes, I am that old. And for those of you who don't know what a fax machine looks like, there is one. Uh, <laughs> the high-pressure atmosphere and being the mouthpiece of an organization really excited me. No day was ever the same, and no day was a dull day. Since those early days, I've spent time working for a number of fashion brands, both large and small, and currently reside at Topshop, looking after their fashion, corporate PR, and internal communications. I've fought a fair few PR fires along the way, and I still love the buzz of working in that environment. This might be a good time to talk about what public relations actually is, and also to look at the way the media has evolved over the last 10 years or so. The Chartered Institute of Public Relations defines PR by saying, public relations is the discipline which looks after reputation with the aim of earning understanding and support and influencing opinion and behavior. It is the planned and sustained effort to establish and maintain goodwill and mutual understanding between an organization and its publics. In short, PR is what you do, what you say, and what others say about you. Normally the terms apply to companies, but the same definition can be applied to individuals, and that's not just celebrities or Kardashians. One thing that's for certain, and one of the reasons I personally chose this path, is that PR and its primary channel, the media, is an incredibly powerful weapon, one that can be used for both good or evil. When we talk about media, I wonder what the first things that springs to your mind is. Some of you, dare I say, the older members of the congregation, and I count myself in that category, you might consider newspapers, radio, TV, and you might continue to consume your news this way, albeit some of the consumption might now be digital or on demand. Others of you might immediately think of social media. The rapid growth of social media as a way of delivering real-time news and information has been well documented, and Silicon Valley has become synonymous with this constant thirst for information. Social media allows the user to immediately learn about breaking news, understand what's driving the global conversation, and gives the user the power to hold a participatory role in telling, spreading, and influencing. Trust is an important factor in delivering credibility to all communications channels. Each person will hold different people or media outlets in higher regard. You might prefer The Guardian, or you might prefer The Daily Mail. 
You might prefer the BBC or, of course, the esteemed ITV. <laughs> you might turn to your spouse or your best friend for advice, or you might prefer the advice of a stranger. Social media has been seen as a vehicle to drive the fake news agenda, and recently Facebook in particular has been under fire with the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Uh, I, I'm sure you know, but in short, Cambridge Analytica was accused of harvesting millions of uh, Facebook profiles to build software that predicted and influenced choices at the ballot box. Good PR builds trust. However, PRs are often described as spin doctors or master puppeteers with the aim of manipulating the facts. The names you might immediately associate with this are those of perhaps Alistair Campbell, who was the Chief Communications Secretary under Tony Blair, who, when Blair was asked about his religious beliefs in an interview, famously said, we don't do God. Or perhaps the disgraced celebrity PR Max Clifford, who never let the truth get in the way of a good story. The reality is there are many more PR professionals working tirelessly behind the scenes to ensure that a brand or a person is represented in the best possible light. And when the proverbial hits the fan, which it's guaranteed to do at one point or another, these people are there to offer counsel and quick-thinking solutions. As touched upon just now, I couldn't talk about PR and media without spending a little bit of time talking about social. It really has changed everything. By creating a voice for the masses, movements have been enabled to rise up from the grassroots, and powerful people are not always leading the charge. The role of social media, particularly Twitter, in the 2011 uprisings in the Middle East and North Africa has been well documented, and the more recent hashtag MeToo movement as a response to the wave of sexual misconduct in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal has been fueled by social media and now really is a global force. Whilst preparing for this talk, it dawned on me that the Bible, Christianity, and ultimately Jesus should be celebrated as the greatest grassroots, word of mouth, viral campaign of all time. Jesus really was the original social influencer. Forget the 17.9 million followers that Pope Francis has on Twitter, or Beyonce, Beyonce's amazing 115 million fans on Instagram. They even have their own name. They're called the Beehive. One in three people globally call themselves a Christian. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. And Jesus started as a micro-influencer with an audience of 12. This combination really is electric. You could employ the best ad agencies, the coolest experiential agencies, and the best team of PRs money could buy, but not achieve even a fraction of that success. Like or loathe PR, we're all doing it in one way or another. If you're not driving your own personal PR, or the PR of the organization, or the community that you're part of, who is? Saying nothing, which is often the default setting of my job, often says more than actually raising your head above the parapet. 
I'm going to use the last few minutes to talk about how some communications principles that I've learned along the way could be practically used by each of us, both individually and collectively, to convey the best versions of ourselves. Firstly, be authentic. This is such an overused cliche of a word, but at its heart, authenticity is vital. During my career, I've seen a dramatic shift in what the consumer wants from a brand or an individual, and the biggest driver is that people need to be who they say they are. The recent Oxfam abuse scandal was a very public example of inauthenticity. We expected a global charitable organisation to be beyond reproach, and when it fell short of this, customers responded with their pockets. To date, Oxfam have lost around 7,000 donors as a result. For each of us, establishing our personal brands and our personal non-negotiables is vital in gaining trust and respect from our colleagues, friends or stakeholders. Central to this is really simple. When you mess up, acknowledge it humbly, acknowledge it quickly and move on. Next, tell the truth. Oh, no sound, but I think Sexual you can guess what he's saying. <laughs> Who could forget it? It was 1998, and Bill Clinton issued a finger-pointing denial that he had had sexual relations with Monica Lewinsky, who was a White House intern at the time. Several months and many front pages later, Clinton finally admitted that he had been engaged in an improper physical relationship with Lewinsky. And although he was acquitted of all charges of perjury and obstruction of justice, and he remained in office, the cost to the reputation of the Democratic Party could not be underestimated. Often, for all of us, there are times when the lie, whether it big or very, very small, can seem the easiest path. But when you get called out on the untruth, which pretty much always happens, people can have a hard time trusting you in the future. If we can't be honest once, what other things are we capable of hiding, both personally, within our community, and to the wider world? Next, act with speed in a crisis. When the inevitable issues arise, it's vital to respond in a timely way. In 2002, the Boston Globe Spotlight team, a group of five investigative journalists, uncovered the widespread sexual abuse of children by scores of the district's clergy. They also revealed a cover-up that priests accused of misconduct were systematically being removed and allowed to work in other parishes. 16 years on, survivors of the abuse are still waiting for satisfactory long-term action from the Vatican. None of us should be expected to get it right 100% of the time, but the way we act when we have messed up is incredibly telling. We can all be guilty of hoping that the bad things we've done are swept under the carpet. I'm certainly guilty of it professionally, often subscribing to the adage, it's a good day to bury bad news which was actually coined in the wake of 9-11 by Labour aide Joe Moore. But often, addressing issues head-on is more effective 
and much more honourable. Be human. In uh, April 2017, United Airlines overbooked a flight from Chicago and no passengers volunteered to leave the aircraft. Aviation security staff therefore forcibly removed this male passenger. Fellow passengers filmed the incident, posted to social media, resulting in a hugely embarrassing PR mess to clean up. Communications consultant Ruth Armitage commented, United Airlines overbooking fiasco has to rank right up there in the history book of PR disasters. The technicality of the airline's overbooking system has been well documented, but what is truly inexcusable is the CEO's indifference to the situation. In this information-driven world where anyone and everyone is a publisher, news travels fast, and while friendly Sky's boss Oscar Munoz lay low, the horrific scenes of the passenger being forcibly removed from the plane were watched worldwide by everyone, quite literally, the world and his wife. If Munoz had reacted as quickly as the news was spreading, he could have probably salvaged a small shred of dignity. Never underestimate the general public and their ability to differentiate between a corporate script and a heartfelt apology. My experience says that robotic business-speak statements never quite hit the mark when you're dealing with real people. When responding to something, we need to take responsibility. We need to put ourselves in other people's shoes. What are they looking for from us? Sympathy, empathy, grace, simple humility? A genuine response really does go a long way. Finally, Embrace the disruptors. Another oft-overused word in the communication space. Disruptors are the game changers. They turn the status quo on its head, and they're not scared to carve a new path. A disruptor brand or individual will see a new proposition in the market that can deliver distinctive value, or they'll take something that's already being done, but do it better to create disruption in the marketplace and value for the user. Modern-day modern disruptors, love them or loathe them, are up there. Some of you might have recently watched The Crown, a Netflix series focusing on the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. One episode was devoted to a man called Lord Altrincham, who shook Britain when he suggested in 1957 that the Queen and her courtiers who supported her were out of touch. Altrincham was a royalist, but it struck me that he was a great example of a disruptor. He saw a service to the public that could be and should be delivered better, and he wasn't afraid to air his views. Subsequently, he was credited with the Queen's first televised Christmas Day speech, amongst other progressive moves designed to maintain relevance for the royal family. Depending on your personality, you might find a disruptor in your midst, quite frankly, disruptive. They can often upset the apple cart, but I would say that personally and professionally, we need them. We need them to ensure we are asking the right questions of ourselves. Do you have a disruptor in your life who can give their honest opinion, in spite knowing you're not necessarily going to like it? So, 
Using the example of Jesus, if we can embrace these principles, even with the 12 people closest to us, those 12 might begin to communicate this way with another 12, and so on and so on. Over time, each of us may be able to reach the holy grail of the communications professional. We could go viral.